1: And this is Lactation Business Coaching with Annie and Leah, where we talk about the smart way to create a compassionate and professional private practice. Let's dive in.
0: Hi there. Welcome to our bonus episode. This bonus episode is actually one of the first deeper dives that Annie and I did together. We're delighted to share it
1: with you. Enjoy. Thank you guys for coming this month to The Deeper Dive. We're going to talk about charting today, which is something that doesn't stop even in a pandemic. If you're, seeing, <laughs> if you're seeing people, you're going to have to chart. So we're going to figure out today what we are doing well, what we need help with, how to make our charting workflows better. So thanks all for coming. Should we, we could do a quick round of like, let's do an icebreaker. I think my icebreaker, which we actually, Lee and I didn't talk about beforehand. My (laughs) icebreaker is going to be, okay, I'll, I'll ask if you want to pop in and tell us your name, where you're located and what you chart on or with. So we we're not gonna like do like go around the circle and everybody has to answer. We'll do it popcorn style. So if anybody wants to jump in, and and say where you are and what you use to chart with,
0: I'm in Oklahoma City, and um just getting into private practice. Uh, another IBCLC and I are going to be starting a practice. So we have no idea what we're
2: going to use. <laughs> Great, awesome. You came <laughs> well, to the right place. <laughs>
3: Oh. Yeah, I haven't launched my business yet. I'm moving slower than molasses in January. And I haven't decided on a charting platform yet either. But I'm thinking that it may have to be a hybrid of paper and, and online until I build up a, a base of clients. Great.
2: I'm in Austin, Texas, and I'm using MLC. That stands for mobile lactation consultant. Yeah. For those of you. Yeah. My mentor was using it. And so that's just what I was trained on. I don't love it, but right now it's, I think the cheapest option that I can come up with and I don't Mm -hmm. have volume really to increase. So it'll do for now.
0: Yay for another Texan here.
1: (laughs) Anybody else want to share what they're using to chart with and where they're located?
4: I'm in Bakersfield, California, so it's 7.30 in the morning here, so Good morning. I'm not going to stay on video, but I just wanted to say hi. And I use Milk Notes. I work in a baby cafe, and all of our staff uses Milk Notes for continuity. Not all baby cafes use charting like that, but we do because we have IBCLCs there all the time. So we use that, and we've been using it for about, I think, like nine months or so, and it's changed drastically in those nine months.
1: Great. Awesome. Thank you. So far, we've got one mobile lactation consultant, one milk notes, one intake queue, two, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm in um, New York City and I've tried all the platforms during my time as a, because that's what I do. And I'm currently using intake queue, but I have used mobile lactation consultant. I have used charm. I have used Jane. And I have tried but not used with clients, practice better and milk notes. If I'm leaving anything out, I can't remember. It'll come to me. So it's like I know about all of them, but some I like better than others. And I'm in Houston, and
0: right now we're using, we transferred over to Intake Q from MLC this year. Um, and Yeah, it's, you know, everything when it's new, it's such a transition, but we're getting used to it. And uh, I love the customizations that you can do with it. That's been super helpful. Does anybody else want to pop in and just let us know where you're at and what you're using for charting?
5: I'm Jen and I'm in Syracuse, New York, so upstate New York. And after like five years of resisting, I finally started IntakeQ a little while ago and I really like it.
1: Another vote, another intake cue. Hi. Anyone, anyone using practice better can do like the thumb. You can thumbs up <laughs> if you are anybody, anybody using G suite to chart. Uh, we got a oh, thumbs up Heather. from Heather. <laughs> anybody using charm? Yes, I am. Who's using charm? Where is, who is I'm that? Kathleen.
4: I'm in Maryland, just outside of DC.
3: Hi. Hi. And I just recently got your toolkit but I
1: haven't gotten it all set up yet,
3: so. We're
1: cool, there. awesome. So you're using charm, and who is, who is happily using paper with no, no desire to change that? Do you have any paper users? I don't know that anybody, I don't see anybody saying yes to okay. paper. So for those of you that haven't chosen a charting platform yet, what are you leaning towards or are you, um, you were saying you were going to use a combination of paper and a platform. So like, I, why don't we start with maybe questions from those of you who aren't using a platform about what, why we picked the ones we did, what we're looking for, what we like, what we don't like. So does anybody have any specific questions or does anybody want to jump in and share more about what you either like about what you're using or maybe even something you don't like about what you're using? I'm worried
3: about number of clients and making it worth the money to pay for an online platform when it's just so unknown. I'm in Northeast Ohio, and I'm looking to open a practice in a county that has, as far as I know, zero BCLCs working outside of a hospital. Okay. So I don't know how many people are willing to put out the money to have a lactation consultant come to their home okay. because it's not a practice that's, that's used often.
6: Mm-hmm. So
3: my concern is cost getting started.
1: So you're wor- you're hesitant to make the investment in something electronic, like a, that would obviously be like a subscription, because most of these platforms you're paying monthly. Some of them have annual pro plans, but with the uncertainty of whether you would have revenue from your private practice to justify that expense, has that been a, a question that any of you have grappled with, or that's been a factor in the decisions you've made? Yeah. I
7: have also just, um, I just launched the practice um, in March. And so I first thought I was going to be using Google Suite. And then I had one client and I had this intake trial. So I've tried and it was like, so easier. I just thought I'm gonna just and subscribe and make it work and thinking it's it's still an expense, but it's still, I thought that was something that I was able to do. And it. Sh- I mean, the whole process was like so easier with queue that I've decided to keep it. But then a few weeks later, the COVID-19 thing happened and I'm pretty much like nothing's really moving right now because I really like literally did my first pediatrician visit round, like the week before school closed. And so... Now I'm just thinking, I, I don't know. I just I just don't I just don't know if it's worth like keeping. But I'm thinking the thing is going to be over soon, and so yeah, same kind of situation. Like thinking is yeah, the volume is not that big right now, so kind of the same situation.
0: And I think it's really hard when you're starting a business because no matter what, with any business, there's going to be investments that we make before we know the outcome of the business, you know, and that makes it really challenging and a little scary. And lactation practices are just the same. I think one thing that you could think about is like, and I know finances are so tight for everybody right now, but kind of like, could you create a budget of an an investment budget? Like. That's what can be helpful. And then it will help you shop for what is practical for your business, you know? So, like, if you know I can invest this much a month into my business, because you're going to need to invest in marketing and all these other things so that you can get all those clients, you know? And then that'll help you know, like, what would be practical because there's a lot of price points, any. Has shared with me like in all the different platforms, you know, the price points are all over the place. So it's important to know what you can afford before you start looking at what's available because, you know, it's kind of like shopping for a car but not knowing how much you can spend on it. It makes it really hard to know, like, you would like all the bells and whistles, but then you're like, well, I can't, I can't purchase that one, you know? So I feel like knowing what you what you can afford going in, even okay. if you didn't have one client as an investment into your business. Just like with marketing, you know, you have to invest in that. When you first started, how did you look at some of these? I've only been in practice for a year and a half now, and
2: it, I would say that I'm still struggling with how much I should be spending on things like marketing. Like that's not a a, a set. A, cost the way charting is or your domain or your website or you know things like that but for me personally it took me a full year to recover that initial investment so
0: yeah I but know, you I recognize- think you have to be prepared for that yeah that's what i was thinking you you see that there is some time to recoup some of these early investments which is hard and especially like add a pandemic on it <laughs> like doubly hard to start something right now because there's so much uncertainty for everyone um, right now. It, it makes it really hard. And the volume of clients is all over the place. I mean, right before Christmas, I was seeing like
2: maybe two a week on average. And then I finished my last follow-up from those in January and then I didn't see anyone until middle of March. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's hard because even... In normal circumstances, uh, client volume is so unpredictable. One of the my pandemic anxiety tasks was I'm gonna was that I was gonna finally do this export from when I was using MLC and get all of my charts exported out of MLC so I have my own backup for them. So that was like three, three and a half years that I used MLC. So a lot of charts. And I was going through and trying to be systematic about it. So I was doing month by month. And I was okay, so just so nobody thinks that I was not taking care of myself. I was also binge watching Real Housewives of New York on a different screen while I was doing this. So there was self-care wrapped up in this incredibly boring task. But I was going through and, and there were years where I remember I was like, I don't remember working as much as I did. And to see a month where like I did a ton of consult and being surprised by that. And then also looking at other times where I'm like, that that wasn't that long ago. And there were there were like an entire month where I saw nobody. And so that was my own memory about the ebbs and flows in my private practice is quite faulty, apparently. Um, I I thought I knew what it was like, and I actually don't. And that was that was really interesting because it and it, it helped ground me a little bit too, because it reminded me that like I've had ebbs and flows before. And it's been long enough that I actually forgot some of them. So that, that was kind of helpful, but in the grand scheme of things, they did kind of merge into me feeling pretty good about my private practice. That makes sense.
0: So I like to pose another question as we're moving forward. I'd like to know, because it seems like we have a nice mix of people who are just starting out and people who are kind of been doing this a little bit of time. I always like to start on a positive note, but what are some of the things that you feel like you're doing well when it comes to charting? I'd love to hear if you could just pick one one thing that you're like, I think I do this part of charting well. Might be like you take the history well, or you have a very comprehensive history, or you're really good at writing notes while somebody's talking, or you are you know, maybe really thorough with charting or really quick with charting. So somebody pop up and tell us what, what you do well with charting because you're going to be the expert we're going to
4: come to. <laughs> no pressure. I see a no thumbs up from, from Christine. Do you want to say something? I worked in the hospital for 10 years and I think one of the things that I really learned there was how to say things that, say things about how the parents reacted to the information or how willing they seemed to comply with a plan and things like that in a diplomatic way that wasn't going to offend them if they saw the records because you have to do it that way. And I feel like I had one of the things that helped so much was having so many colleagues around because nurses were going in our charts after we were there and we had other lactation people going in. And I think that's something that can really help is having other people go through and see what you've written. And make sure that the way that you say things is something that is always going to be okay and and work well for the parents if when they if and when they read it as well.
1: That's a good. Point. That's great. I'm really glad you brought that up because we can all have a tendency to forget the person just when we're trying to write these up and in our desire to write things clinically, you know, we are. You know, in, in the U.S. at least, you know, people have a right to their their medical records. And even if they didn't, I think it's a good idea to keep them in mind and think about who might be reading and how, especially with, you know, what Christina was saying about the, in the institutional setting where other care providers are going to be looking at this chart and how is the way you frame this family could impact how this family is treated by other members of the care team. And- Mm -hmm so being really mindful of that and that you know would involve in you know reflecting on your own biases in your charting in the questions you're asking and the way you're recording information because it could have effects forward for this family.
0: That's a really important reminder. I love that. Thank you.
2: I think one thing that has helped me is I started out in a private practice using mobile lactation consultant and kind of had an almost unlimited amount of space to write in. And then I did some of my hours at a community clinic where literally you had like 144 characters. It was like a t- like a tweet. And that was the whole, you could only, it was just a note attached to the pediatrician's chart. And then now working in the hospital, we also have two very teeny tiny blocks that we can write in. And it's really forced me to just get to what what's going on and not have this whole winding story or, you know, it's probably not the best, but it's, forced me to like, get to the point very quickly. And the pediatricians are just not interested in a three page report that you fax to them. They're interested in like, just
0: what do you think happened here? A summary. <laughs> I think that's a really valuable skill is to know how to, you know, make a brief summary of your findings. And it's hard because we have a lot we want to say about breastfeeding. <laughs> and how this family's doing, it's hard to be concise in some of the situations. So that's, it's a really powerful skill to have.
1: Let's ask, maybe find out where you kind of fall on the continuum between, I use a lot of checkboxes versus I like to write everything out. So oh, it, what kind of, what's the mix that you're using? I know with those of you who are using mobile lactation consultant and milk notes, there's some things that are pre-built for you as checkboxes when you're using Charm and intake IntakeQ and, and other platforms that you are building your template and customizing them yourself, how do you find yourself using either one of those kind of ways of charting checkboxes versus freehand typing?
7: I personally like the checkboxes just because it gives you all the, I mean, not exhaustive but choices, and you're not going to miss anything. You're just going to click the right one. And going back to uh, what the person previously said uh, about the pediatrician report, one of my questions was like, I think I have a comprehensive charting form and I'm trying to include more and more. Like, For example, I learned about reflexes and I'm trying to like add it into my charting. Uh, but then I'm like, it's going to be very, very long. So my question was like, what is important to the pediatrician when you want to keep this pretty much like long charting form and comprehensive comprehensive form?
0: That's a really great question. Does anybody who's kind of been doing like some of the people who've been doing this for a while want to share on kind of how you take your charting, what you've charted, and then what actually gets sent to the pediatrician? Do you condense it? Do you do anything different from charting to PD report, or do you just send everything?
4: I absolutely condense and make a brief report. Again, because of my hospital experience, I could chart whatever I wanted, and I knew that my nurse friends would read it, but I knew that when I met the pediatrician in the hallway, they were not going to listen to me for more than 30 seconds. And then I talked to some pediatricians in their offices about this too, and they said if they get a fax, that has a full page of text on it, they're not going to read it. They're not going to read it at all. So they said, you really have to just get it as small as you possibly can. And I know that's super frustrating because one of the things that we're trying to do with charting is to teach and to, you know, let other providers know exactly how we're thinking and why these things happen and how they can support it. But it doesn't really work that way because they just don't have the time So yes, I absolutely condense everything into a really small synopsis of what I've seen and what the person is going to do next. That's helpful. Whatever platform you're using should allow you the
1: ability to turn your charts into reports and choose what goes into the report and customize that because it's going to be different for every provider that you are reporting to. So Kind of being aware of what what's your goal with giving you know what what action action do you want this care provider to take? What information do they need to be able to take that action? And so that might change how, for example, you set up your your charting templates. So in intake queue, the way I have it, I have a section for what I call treatment notes, which is just sort of this is like the the brief line of what I think is going on and what I did today, so that I want you to know what I did today. I have a subcontractor in my practice. So we actually work together. Many of you are using my intake Q forms, you're not getting everything I'm using in my practice, because we actually then I further customize based on my the needs of my specific clients in my geographic areas, what I know those doctors are looking for, what specific thing, you know, my specific referrals, etc. But it is pretty condensed. And I feel for me where I am, I want it on the chart and on the report when, when and why I'm indicating supplementation. That's probably the number one thing that I feel like I need the doctors to know. And that's because I'm in a geographic area where we have a lot of doctors who seem very hesitant to recommend supplementation. And we have a big PD practice that is that are vocal advocates of early sleep training. And not feeding babies, so so I'm like, I told them to feed that baby. I did, not you. It was me <laughs> when that baby gets fed. It's me that, that that did it because you weren't paying attention. And we're gonna talk a little more at an upcoming deeper dive about PD reports. So we're we're gonna go into even more depth on on writing reports, not just for pediatricians, but also for other healthcare providers, for OBs and midwives and primary care for ph- physicians and and all of that but your chart i think there's a such a connection because what goes in the chart informs what what is in the report but there are other reasons that we want to be charting during the consult so what are when you are thinking about what i'm keeping track of during this consult what are the main things that you feel like you need to get down on paper or in your tablet or computer storage, what are the things that are most important for you to be tracking about a consult? What are you writing down? Absolutely, weights, how the
2: baby has been fed over the last you know week or so, diapers. I feel like I forget to ask about diapers a lot, but I really, that's one of the things that bit me last week, so.
1: So yeah, so taking data about the previous 24 hours, that's something that I find pretty important and helpful, especially when I'm seeing people multiple times, and it helps to be able to see how things have changed, mm-hmm. what's new. So in 24 hours, we've got, somebody mentioned diapers. What else are you asking about the last 24 hours?
6: Supplementation. Supplementation. Pumping. Yeah. Pumping. Yeah. Uh, there's been any formula useful. Yeah, I find that really helpful, actually. You we were talking about the tick boxes and I find it really helpful because it reminds me of everything I need to ask. Because I think if I didn't have those tick boxes, I'd leave stuff out. So I find it really good with queue. And it's all kind of set up now through my website. And even though it costs, costs a bit and I'm not earning very much at the moment, but I'd still be very reluctant to let it go because I find it a really good support for me. And yeah, and, and the 24-hour picture is great, even though sometimes I feel like it's like, you know, they've booked and, and sometimes it takes them like, you know, 24 hours before they get back to you and then you're seeing them the next 24 hours and then they have to fill in a whole, you know, you're filling in a whole other intake with them again. That It's like, it's a lot, but it really does give a good picture.
1: One way to think about charting is to, when you're charting about a consult is to, Come back to what's the story that you're trying to tell. And so, in classic storytelling, every story starts with a conflict or a problem. And so, in healthcare, we have the problem oriented medical record, which is so this person came to you because they're having a problem, and you're going to find out what the problem is, examine all the reasons this problem could be happening. And then come up with a path towards a solution to the problem. So Mm -hmm. when you're charting, this is all your evidence that you're gathering in support of the proposed solution you have to this person's problem. So like like the client is Dorothy at the beginning of Wizard of Oz. She wants to go home. She's got to go down all this long path, Mm -hmm. figure out the answer to get home. And Dorothy, what we find out at the end of Wizard of Oz is that the only reason she got to go home is because she did all that work on the journey yeah. to get there. Yeah. The charting is our yellow brick road.
6: Yeah. But <laughs> I, I don't know if it's, you know, like in the States, I don't know what it's like when you go to your your physician, your pediatrician. We don't have pediatricians in Ireland. We like, we have GPs, general practitioners, but they never chart when, when you go in with a problem. They just kind of sit in front of you and listen. So I think for... A lot of Irish families, they're a bit maybe intimidated by that, that we're asking so m- much questions. But people get into it But I don't know. Is is it like that in
0: other places? I think here in the States, like charting is, it takes up a huge portion of visits. I know with both my, my doctor my kids doctor they're always charting throughout the visit on their EHRs occasionally you'll run across a doctor who doesn't chart with you but charts outside the room you know every once in a while but i find that those are just specialists you know like when my sister was going through cancer treatment that was such a nice thing they all they never charted in the room with us and i thought that was so nice they were so present but they would you had they had a little desk right outside the door and they would go out there and just busily chart away right when they got done with you and that kind of leads me to wonder with you guys are you charting in the visit with clients typically or are you charting like at the end maybe just jotting down notes and and i wonder too has that changed at all now that you're doing virtual visits i know that changed for me I'm having a harder time typing and watching, you know, what's going on um, like I could when I was in a home visit. Mm-hmm. I'm taking a lot of notes yeah. and, then, and then just doing some of my check boxes and things while we're, we're visiting. But has that changed for anybody else? I'm wondering if anybody else has, one, always charted one or the other, like in the visit versus right after the visit. And two, if any of that changed because of virtual visits. Does anybody want to share their experience
4: with that? I do. I'm going to jump right in here. Um, Yes, please. (laughs) So I have always been a never chart during a visit person because to me it's an interaction and it's a story and there I can't do that without interrupting the flow. But the second I started doing virtual consults, I realized I needed to write things down because the the interaction that I personally am having. Is not happening in the same way. It is not unrolling the same way. So, my brain isn't categorizing all of that information the same. So, I have to jot down some notes and I just do it on a cute, like totally blank piece of paper. I write down whatever I need to write and I don't think about, oh, I'm going to write down the weights or I'm going to write down this. I just write down whatever strikes me and I tell the person I'm looking away so I can just jot down some notes. But I don't stop the conversation to do it. I just want them to know that's why I'm looking away because I feel super weird when I actually look away from the screen. Like, do they think I'm not paying attention? So that's been a huge change for me. But in person, you know, I don't think it's going to change when I'm in person because in person, I'm physically having the experience. So I'm able to like remember the information when it's over as long as I chart it right away because maybe in the beginning of my career, I could remember you know, five different patients that I'd been in their room, but now I really need to get it out as soon as we're done. (laughs) Otherwise, I don't know where it goes. (laughs) I don't know why that happens. I don't, I keep wondering if that, if that's age or
0: like, I really think it must be age or like your brain's just seen so much. It all starts to blend together. Like, I don't know. Cause I was the same. I could like, I could remember anything. I could tell you just like every little teeny tiny detail in the beginning. Now I'm like, as soon as, I download it from my brain. It's like it just disappears and I have to like read my note again and then it starts coming back. But it's, I don't know if that's like an age thing. (laughs) I don't know. It's its really weird. But that's really helpful to hear like how you've had to make some adjustments. It is, I think, so interesting how just being across a screen has changed how our brain retains the information because I definitely have, I can resonate with a lot of that. Is anybody else finding that you're having to shift how you charted? I've definitely shifted. I I started out needing to. Anna and I have been so lucky with all the people who have joined us on our deeper dives. When you join our monthly subscription, you get every single one of our deeper dives dating all the way back through January, 2020. We're talking about Kathy Jenna, Rachel O'Brien, Nichelle Clark, Rebecca Costello, Melissa Cole, and so many more. They're all people we love learning from, and we have so many more coming down the pike. Check out the show notes to learn more and join today. To
2: take paper notes because I couldn't keep up doing the electronic charting like in the early days of my practice, and I felt like I had gotten to the point where I could chart and be mostly done at the end of a visit in an in-person visit. And now with the telemedicine, I use my iPad to chart and then I use my laptop for the telemedicine. So like there's just really two completely different screens going on and I would be staring off screen the entire time. So I've been taking paper notes and then charting afterwards. And I think that it's not helpful. I need to come up with like a paper at least a reminder list of the things that I need to remember to ask because I'm occasionally ending a visit and realizing that I didn't ask something
0: that I probably should have. I wonder if you so. could print your form from MLC. That would be that would be helpful. You know, because then you could just like, like fill it in paper. I don't know if you can or not, but that might be I don't be know either, but that might be helpful. I might just do a a
2: sample visit, like a made up client with just like dash marks in all the answers or something and see if maybe I could print it out, like export
1: that file It was a fake client and then print That's that. a great idea. That would totally yeah. work. That yeah. would totally work. I chart during the visit, but that's just my brain is, it, it works for me. And probably because I spent my early career working years, I was an executive assistant for a movie producer. So I basically spent my whole day on a computer listening to what someone else was saying. I was, cause I was taking dictation. He was like yelling from the other room, write this letter for me. And I had to write the letter while he's just calling it out from the other room. And so I'm, for me, it is not difficult at all to be listening to what someone's saying and even making eye contact with them while typing. It's so much harder for me to be present with somebody when I have a pencil in my hand, my brain is too engaged, and I have terrible handwriting. I can't read what I've written afterwards, so I have to actually pay attention to make sure I'm writing it legibly. If I don't look, you cannot; it's illegible even to me who wrote it. So <laughs> that can make charting so, hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. Can make <laughs> I, charting hard. So I but I, discovering I <laughs> electronic charting was like, thank you. This is what I've been waiting for this whole time. I I I can't do this handwriting thing anymore. But I do feel a greater, like Christina was saying, obligation to my virtual clients to make sure that I am present for them in a way that is different than in the home visits with and especially with how my attention is split. When we're in person, I can be on my iPad, but they can see that I'm looking at them. They can, I can send my energy towards them even while I'm typing. I can set it aside when I need to there's a lot of that physical interaction that's there and when i'm virtual i feel like even if i'm just like tab over to another screen on my and i'm still looking at you and i'm typing i feel like they can tell that i'm not looking at them and i feel like they really need me to be like a really good tv show for them you yeah. know what i mean like <laughs> that pressure to perform through the screen is really there and i also found that in the transition to virtuals and combined with just the, the trauma of the pandemic, I, my brain was scrambled for most of March and early April. I couldn't think straight. I, and I was really grateful, like Maria was saying, for my forms. Because I, if I didn't have them as a guide, I would have been like, what? Like, I don't know. what. How many How many times is your baby supposed to eat? What's one plus two? I don't know. And that was so, it was really helpful to have that to ground me during consults. Like the charting kept me going because it was familiar and that didn't change, even when everything else did. My my forms didn't change. So it's like kind of like
0: we're finding ourselves again, you know? It's like we kind of all were floundering around and like now we're finding ourselves a little bit. Has anybody else changed anything or anything different?
5: Yeah, I Did want to respond to a few of the questions that people had. I think a big fear in charting is that you're gonna miss something. And I think that we kind of all feel like that. I know I definitely feel like that. And that really held me back for a long time into going to a electronic system. And also what Ann was talking about in the beginning and spending money. And I think that's a huge hurdle, especially for people starting out. And right now everything is so different anyway. But one of the things that I Wish I had done sooner and invested in sooner was an electronic charting platform. I think it helped organize me. I think it actually helped me save tremendous amounts of time. And I wish I had gotten myself organized to do that a lot sooner. But I also think it's important for you to look at where you want your business to go. And if you want to do, you know, a few clients here or there. That's a very different setup than if your goal is to be, you know, solidly part time or solidly full time. And my goal was to be solidly full time. And the the amount of time I think I wasted in the energy I spent in doing things to not spend money, I think was it was a little off balance for me now that I look back. Another thing about charting that I think really held me back was that I really wanted customization because by the time I got into it, I knew what I wanted. I knew how my brain thought and I needed something that worked for me. And that was a huge factor in me deciding on how to choose a charting platform. And also it's a work in progress. It's never going to be perfect. You're always going to keep on tweaking. And if you need to have something that you can tweak, then that's something that you have to consider. And then the last thing is that I think, you know, there's a lot of intimidating parts to charting, and sometimes you just have to step into it and start doing it and learn as you go. And I think that that, you know, if I had realized that back then, it, I think things would have been different for me.
1: So those of you who have been doing using your charting platform up for a while, what what are the places where you feel like you are still not sure? like why you're doing what you're doing. So cuz I heard that coming out in a couple of these you know whether it's why am I spending why would I even spend money on an electronic charting platform or why am I asking the things that I'm asking? Why am I recording the things that I'm recording? So are there specific I guess questions that you have that you want to ask the group about like hey, why are we writing this down? why does this matter cuz i think you know with what maria said about in ireland not not you know asking a whole bunch of questions versus our experience in the us where our doctors are right are charting that's all they're doing when they're with us i think there's going to be also a gap between if you take insurance versus if you don't take insurance because for taking insurance, there are certain things that need to be on that chart if I want to charge what I want to charge the insurance for the visit. And if they're not there, I'm going to get paid less. So
3: I'm a hospital-based LC. And so not charting is not an, not even a thought process that it has to be done. If it wasn't charted, it wasn't done kind of mentality. So I am used to check boxes, with a small summary so i know that i i will choose some sort of charting system i'm curious to know if there are things that are charted in the private practice world that are not charted in a hospital or vice versa because kind of whatever system the hospital is using that's what we get and i've used epic and i've used Turner, no. And I much prefer Epic. The look and the flow of it is a lot more user-friendly to me. But I'm familiar with smart phrases and things like that through Epic. And I thought that that was really helpful to be able to make concise notes and pull in certain information. But I'm curious to know, are we charting things in the hospital that are or are not charted? in the private practice setting. I don't have many LCs that I can shadow in a private practice setting currently.
0: I think this would be a great question for anybody who does both. So Mm -hmm. I know a couple of you guys were saying you guys do both hospital and home-based. What have you found the differences to be?
2: I do both. And I found that like the hospital uses latch scores. And I hate latch scores because I feel like, I feel like they don't really, that number at the end really doesn't represent what's going on at all, but we're forced to do the latch scores in the hospital. And, you know, I know the nurses that give every single person a 10 every single time they see them. And so I don't even care what they, because I expect to see something different in person. I think there's just a lot more detail in a private practice chart there's a lot more about the history it's more than just the the prenatal risk factors that they list in the hospital chart we're not using epic so i don't know exactly what your what's in your chart but there's also no place to do an oral assessment all you can chart is in the hospital is like tight frenulum and that's it so if i really feel it like there's something about the oral anatomy that's important i have to use up part of my little teeny tiny box to try to describe an oral assessment and there just isn't a lot of room for that. But I think in the hospital, most providers just don't care about the type frenulum unless it's like obviously right to the tip and there's just no denying it. Most of them will be like, mm, I don't think that's what's going on. And we really can't do anything about it in the hospital anyway. So they you get more into like the oral assessment, more into the history, more nuance and everything, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. I saw like some eyebrows went up when you said that about about the oral assessment. And I think, you know, things like those of us who are pursuing, you know, as I think we all like we all love continuing education. So we take all these classes and we learn these things. And every time I take a good class, my my charting changes because I, I add things. I'm like, oh I gotta up this and I gotta do this check it and this test. And so I think the like for me it's always been so important to be able to customize my charting and incorporate the screening tools that I find helpful and not be reliant on, you know, what someone else thinks is helpful. And those score like, so back to what Odelia was asking about what goes in the pediatrician report, that is a very important automation I've set up in intake Q. is if I do a, any of the, like the phrenotomy decision tool or the, the Martinelli lingual frenulum function tool. So if I use those on a the baby, they get pushed both to the baby's chart, and the scores are recorded on the pediatrician report, along with a reference to the screening tool. So I'm not just because I'm basically assuming that they even if they've gotten 100 PD reports from me that they still have no idea what the assessment tool for lingual frenulum function is nor do I expect them to care, but that's my own practice setting. But so I put the score and I say, and here's the reference in case you actually care to follow through on what this score means. I'm also telling you what the score means. And then I'm also seeing it. it's, it's documented in the chart so that I'm never just saying, I think this baby has a tongue tie. I'm saying I'm referring this baby for tongue tie evaluation based upon these criteria that are the same and they're standardized every, you know, all of my clients are getting the same screenings done and I've had to modify my workflow for them virtually. There are certain things I can't actually questions. I can't answer on those screening tools virtually, but I'm still using them and have, when I brought a subcontractor into my practice last fall, having my charting standardized meant I was like, I I, like the charting is the training in a lot of ways, like clinically, like this is what you have to do to join, you know, to be a part of my practice. This is how we do it. And so when a lot of, when a lot of questions that, that come up for her clinically, I, I send her back to, well, what's in the chart? Did, what did, did And the chart, making sure that, that she's getting what I need to be able to supervise her and help her grow clinically because she, I'm making her ask the things that I think are important
6: to ask. When you use the screening tools with parents? I suppose going back to again going through all the the check boxes and stuff. I find it really difficult to, to do that. Like I kind of have to keep that kind of in my head when I'm doing it and then do that after because it's like another thing I'm taking out to look at. So how do you do that? Do you like you know, do you have it out on your iPad and are you ticking it off and checking the baby and ticking it off and how do people do that? I have to do a whole oral assessment and then chart it.
2: And that's mostly about how many times do I want to change my gloves? Because I'm not going to touch my iPad and then put my fingers back in baby's mouth. So just, Mm. I kind of have to be really familiar with all the steps of the screening process, do it all, and remember at least that much. And then I take off my gloves, go back to my iPad, chart it, and then we can move on. I just wish, you know, like not every visit goes with the same flow. Like if you walk in the door and the baby's screaming and has to eat now, then the whole, the whole flow of it changes. And that's when I miss things is when I don't have time to like say hi to the parents and sit down and kind of chat for a minute and find out what's been going on. And But the oral assessment, that that's just how I have to do it. And I, I have no brain. My brain fell out with my first child and it hasn't, it hasn't recovered. So I am definitely a chart as I go for the most part. And I have to chart after every client because if I see somebody else, I've lost it outpatient and in the hospital, I cannot do two clients between each without charting.
1: I, yeah, I, I, there are a couple, some things that I will never remember unless I write them down right away. That would be like the baby's weight. And I've actually talked to other. LC's who are like, can remember weights and they can remember four weights in a row and chart them all at the end of the day. And I was like, that that is next level. I can't do that. I can't, I can't, I can't remember two seconds later after you tell me, I often have to ask them, I have to, did you say this? And occasionally I am wrong with what I heard. So, but there are other things like with the screening tools, like, like what you're saying, I don't have the screening tool out while I'm doing the oral assessment, the oral assessment happens to me within the context of an entire baby assessment. And during that time, I am solely focused on the baby, I have my gloves on, I'm interacting with the baby, the baby is getting my full attention, because babies are don't understand multitasking the way their parents do. And the same goes when I'm working with a family on like directly on like, okay, we're helping your baby get into physician I'm physically with you. I'm not doing that with the iPad right up here to make sure that I am getting everything I want to do. So, but those things, when I go back, I, I do the whole oral assessment. I understand the baby. And then the way those, uh, those assessments are, I can answer those questions. I would not be able to tell you was lateralization more complete to the left side or the right side. No, I cannot remember left and right during a consult, I'm all constantly like, is that the left breast or the right breast? I have to, ask, that's another thing I have to ask them to repeat. Did you say it hurts more on the right side or the left side? Cause I can't remember what you said, but I don't need that level of specificity to answer the questions on the screening tool. They're general enough mm-hmm. that I'm like, I know the answer to this. And if I didn't, I could either ask the parent to remind me of something. Sometimes I'll say, I can't remember, Did do, do you have pain or does it feel like chewing?" but typically I'm not needing to go through those questions while I'm working with the baby. And also I've done them enough times. I know what's on there. I know what, and I know what I'm looking for. I would also like a, like a, like a pro tip, (laughs) Uh,
0: not a pro, but a pro tip would be one thing that I have found really helpful is to verbalize, for yourself, really, this is for your charting, what you see as you go through, you know, you have to be conscientious that the parent's listening. But as you go through, I've found it really helpful because I know, say, the screening tool, I'm going to kind of almost verbalize my answers. I say them out loud, like, oh, I'm noting, you know, there's a little, you know, not enough lateralization here. Do you see? And I'll be like explaining it to the parent. But that is what triggers my memory when I sit down to write it down. I'm like, I I remember it better than if I just like don't say anything for this whole time and like try to do it. I try to like talk about what I'm seeing the whole time and then that does help help me to remember when I do get a chance to write it down. I don't know why that just seems to to really solidify these things in my mind. I don't know if anybody else has any things like that like your little hacks that you've tried to help you even even you guys that might not be doing private practice if you're in the hospital, I mean obviously you're charting a ton and in a you know short time span like any any pro tips that you'd like to share like hacks what's your hacks for for
4: charting so one of the things we do in our baby cafe is that we're also training lactation counselors, so they're being mentored and they're getting their clinically supervised hours, so a lot of times now. Most of my students are pretty advanced at this point. Some of them are actually delayed in taking their tests because of all of this. But anyway, normally what we do is on a clipboard that's next to the parent and baby, that's where the, the tool, the screening tool is there. But when we do evaluations, we're talking through the entire thing the whole time. So basically, it's a parent sitting with the baby on their lap in front of us and two of us at their knees. So I'm watching what my student is doing as they're evaluating. And if I need to intervene, I'm right there. But they've listened to me talk through it so many times that now they're talking through it, but they also have that tool sitting there to remind them all the things that they're looking for and why they're talking, like what what are they looking for? And then what do they see? And we talk to the baby and we say things like, oh my goodness, look how well your tongue lifts up when you do that or look how your tongue is following my finger. Oh, wow. Your chin is so nice and loose and your mouth opens so wide. We talk to the baby. And then when we, after it's done and you take off your gloves, we take that clipboard and we start filling out all the things. And we talk through each of those things with the parents so that they see what they, they heard it while we did it. And then they see us fill it out. And then we tell them what to do with that piece of paper. They take it with them. So a little different now with the virtual consult but that's generally what we do. It's it's both verbal, but we also have that visual tool next to us so that we don't forget any of the steps. That's awesome.
1: what I love about that is that you're bringing the charting out into the open and it doesn't have to be a secret thing. Like sometimes when I'm with my doctor I'm like what is he writing down? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> but here you're you're actually inviting the parents to participate in the creation of their own chart and explaining things to them. And I do find that to be like a great, just in terms of a communication strategy during the visit, if you are feeling like it would be better for if you're like, okay, I can remember everything and I can chart after. And I've, I've definitely done that where I've had to sit in my car and chart really fast, right when the visit's over before I forget everything. i write the weight down on a piece of paper because the baby's screaming when I come in. but for me because it's it is so much better if I get it right then and there, I don't I don't want to miss anything. And I actually verbalize that to the families. I say, I'm going to take a moment and write this down because I don't want to forget anything. And so when you phrase it that way to them, that it's not you're not doing this for yourself, but you're doing it for them, they understand that and they and they appreciate that. And so they know that there's there's a reason behind what you're doing. I I also find that, you know, that the more we get just used to people having devices in their hands at all the all times, there's a certain de- level of device blindness that comes in, especially in the home setting. Like they, there are times when I think they don't even notice that I'm on a device while I'm talking where they will pull out their cell phone. I'll start charting and they'll say, oh, great. I can like, I can look at my phone too. You know, it's almost like they're relieved. Like, we can get a little break from the intensity of being together. Any other pro tips? Yeah, anybody else
0: want to share? I know you guys, you guys are, are smart and, and Kate, you know, doing lots of great things. I'd love to hear if anybody else has any words to the wise that you want to share with all of us. Please help us all be better.
3: <laughs> I'm in the hospital, you know, going room to room. So sometimes I'm, you know, most of the time I'm seeing about 10. 10 different families in a shift I can't chart all of them at the end of the shift but I can save a few up and and chart as I go I just tend to have developed like just a spiel I just say the same thing in every room so that I know that people are getting the very same information that I'm giving you know on certain days of life and like Christine says it does throw me off when i walk into a room and something else is happening and i don't get off to a great start with you know with my spiel but i think i've just become really comfortable with the charting that we do and so i incorporate whatever has to be charted into the spiel and that's that's what i talk about that's what i the education that i give And, and I'm just sort of focusing on those things. There is no history when the baby is only 10 hours old. You know, we, I know what they did for the last 10 hours. Um, So that's very different than the private practice setting. And I've gotten to do a few outpatient consults and I'm terrible at them they I bumble my way through, and I do have to take notes, and I and I tell the parents that 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 I'm you know, I have to write this down so that I can remember later. And nobody's ever seemed to bat an eye about that. but just, I think, for myself, being really aware of what the intention of the notes are. What the all the check boxes are being very familiar with that, then I'm able to to just use that in my my language with people. Not really. It's almost
0: like the charting kind of guides your visit.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, and there are pros and cons for that, definitely. That's helpful though.
0: Thank you.
1: I'm going to, Sarah Hogan in the chat popped in. um, She wrote, I think the fact that we are intentional about getting our intakes ahead of time can inform our charting. I can't count the number of times our family doctors and dentists have tried to prescribe us medications we are allergic to because they did not review the intake. Yeah. I mean, I think getting that intake information in advance does save you a ton of time during charting because there are certain things where I just want to know them. And maybe we are going to need to discuss them in more detail, but there's so much that I want to know in advance that there's no way I could possibly spend the amount of time in person time to go through everything. And I read all my intakes. So I'm like, unlike Sarah's doctors, I I mean, but I get that. And it's really frustrating when you feel like, I think for our clients, it would be if they felt like they told us something and we didn't, We ask them about it again, which that certainly happened to me just out of just lack of preparation before the consult where I'm like, Oh, you totally told me that. And I just asked you again. And then I feel a little embarrassed. So I have my intake queue is set up to feed information from the intake into the chart template so that I can review what they told me while I'm asking them what I want to ask them currently. And that's really helped me cut down on those kinds of gaps. I think, you know, even if they
0: send intake ahead of time, I like to just, you know, to get to know them, kind of go through and maybe ask questions like you're explaining, like about the different things that they put in, like, oh, I see that you wrote, you know, about this. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I see you checked this in your history, you know, as a, a potential problem. How long has that been going on? You know, like things like that. And it helps me know like, okay, I'm going to need to see how that plays out in, in yeah. the visit so that I can chart about how that's affecting them now. I think that really these intakes are really a big part of our charting and you know, part of what we need to do to make sure we have a complete chart.
2: I think that's a good point because sometimes clarifying or repeating back to them some of the things on the intake form can clarify questions that they had I found a few clients who misunderstood the question or they're like, oh, I didn't realize that that's what you meant. No, no, that's this other thing. Or they'll mix up like a family history with a personal history of a certain condition. And I think it's good to go over little red flags in the intake form to make sure that you're both understanding what,
0: what you were really asking and how they really answered it. I think that's so important. I actually had a dad who is like helping the mom fill out the intake form and he put all his health issues on there too. which I thought was so interesting, which some of them were like bad, like scary stuff. So I get this intake form and I am like, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to like freaking out a little? Like, I don't even know how to handle this. And then thank God I reviewed it because he's like, oh no, that's, I have that. And I was like, why is that in this? <laughs> Okay, we're gonna like take this off, take this off. But thank you for your thoroughness that you wanted to share, but it was really sweet because he was he was just kind of going through his normal, like, oh, doctors wanna know, people wanna know in healthcare what all your history is. So he he shared it all. It is <laughs> it is helpful those
1: clarifying questions. One thing is cool in intake queue is that you can put notes on the intake forms after they're submitted. So when I have intake form submitted for my subcontractor, I can go through the chart and then I'll make little notes to ask her what I want. I think she should ask about specific to these things as a, that's part of the training that we're doing. Here's what this tr- brings up for me, or here's what I want to know more about this. And so that can help guide her as well during the consult for charting. Thank you guys so much. And thank you guys all for
0: sharing and being open and willing to support each other in this platform because, you know, we're just helping each other grow and learn through our own experiences. And I just really appreciate all of your willingness to share and be here with us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.